my good friends. Welcome to my podcast, Proclaiming Freedom. My name is Sadie Anderson. I'm so glad you're here. It's another great day to give glory to God, so that's what we're going to do. If you want to find more episodes or other resources on the topics I discuss, head over to my website, proclaiming-freedom.com. Okay, let's jump into it. I'm so excited about this episode. There will be many episodes to follow talking about the Holy Spirit, but this is an introduction. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about my first experience hearing the Lord talk to me and just kind of the learning process of becoming aware of who the Holy Spirit is, what the role of the Holy Spirit is, and what a relationship with the Holy Spirit is supposed to be and supposed to look like. So let's jump into it. There are some denominations that believe the Holy Spirit is still active and moving. And then there are some denominations in Christianity that believe all the Holy Spirit stuff stopped when the disciples died out. And this belief is called cessationism. So that's just a heads up on if you've never heard of the Holy Spirit before, don't worry about it. Sometimes people don't talk about it. Uh, My church growing up, I never really knew anything about the Holy Spirit. I pretty much only knew about the Holy Spirit in the context of the Trinity. So my first experience hearing the Lord speak to me was... I was 18 years old, I was sitting and listening to music, I did a lot of writing growing up here and there, just journaling or poetry, things like that, Um, but this might be funny to some people, but I really love that this is part of this story, but I was listening to Nicki Minaj, and I'm talking about way back before she even put out her first album. This was like barely coming up into mainstream music. She was doing a lot of features. And so I went back and started listening to her older stuff, um, like mixtapes and things like that. So I'm listening to some of her older mixtape stuff, and she's just kind of telling her story or telling a story. Either way, it was really good. But I just remember thinking, everyone's story is worth being told and worth being heard. And I don't know why, but before this realization, I thought your story only mattered if it was super dramatic and difficult, as if there were standards to be heard. And when this realization hit me, that my story was important and there were no standards required, I immediately started writing. I was writing my experience and my thoughts through poetry pretty much as fast as I could. It was kind of like the floodgates were opened. And as I am in this process of writing, I'm feeling all the emotions I'm feeling and 
just telling my story kind of for the first time to my notepad. As I got to the end of my thoughts, I felt a response begin to form and I kept writing. It's interesting because this response was effortless and without my mental direction. I wasn't thinking of what I was writing about. I wasn't thinking of how to rhyme certain words or put things in the right order. It was just kind of flowing out of me. And I just felt like I knew I was hearing from God. At the time, I didn't know there were multiple ways to hear from God. I just knew he was meeting me in this place of telling my story and responding out of love and compassion and truth. So when I finished with that writing, I went back and I read it. And it's always good to test things. It's biblical to test things. And this response that just kind of flowed out of me was right in line with God's character. And it was kind of just like a personal response to everything that I had been struggling with and feeling and trying to process just regular life stuff. And God was just kind of responding with hope and truth and just to trust in his faithfulness because he's got bigger things coming. He's got better things coming and And also just kind of validating everything that I was feeling and I was going through. After this initial experience, I continued to write and journal. Most of what I wrote early on was out of deep wounds and... God would respond with healing words and the truth that he's always with me. And I just feel like this was really significant to me personally to begin to be comfortable with telling my story and being honest, not trying to sugarcoat things, not trying to explain away God just met me and spoke to me in his perfect way. Years later, in the season of finding my identity in God, which I talk about in my episodes of my testimony, which you should check out if you haven't listened to them. Anyways, during that season, I met Dave Arns and... We've been meeting every week for the past five years. Dave is my mentor and spiritual father. We began talking about the Lord, and he started talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit moving in people's lives today. And I was shocked. I had never heard any of this stuff. And then Dave pulled out his Bible and I pulled out mine and it's all in the scripture. I was like, how, how did I miss this? How did this not get pointed out to me before this time? I felt like I had been searching for this my whole life and I didn't even know it. The Holy Spirit is this intimate, 
cool, powerful, exciting interaction between me and God. And it's available to everybody. I couldn't believe I'd never known about this until now. This new understanding, it was truly eye-opening. I was so excited and awestruck that this is really real. God is that real. Dave gave me his book called Be Filled with the Spirit. I highly recommend it. Dave does a great job researching the Holy Spirit in the Bible as well as the records of past revivals, and he presents all the scriptural evidence he finds. I really like his approach because it's thorough and scripturally based. He allows the reader to be able to make their opinion based on what the scripture is saying. So I like that because I don't usually like being told what to think, especially with something so new that I'd never really heard about before. Since then, I've truly been pursuing being filled with the Holy Spirit and all of what that means. I've experienced the Holy Spirit speak to me in many different ways, which is super cool. I've had Holy Spirit dreams, uh, seeing in the Spirit, inspiration to create artistic pieces from the Holy Spirit, I've received prophetic words for other people and also discerning of spiritual reality in certain situations. That's kind of a lot, but there's still so much more. And the only reason I'm listing off all of these things is because I've always wanted to know about it. So if you haven't heard about the Holy Spirit, and what that relationship looks like, it is all those things I've listed for you and more. I encourage you to believe that you will hear from the Holy Spirit and that you already are hearing from the Holy Spirit. I'll give an example of one of the times the Holy Spirit gave me inspiration for an art piece. Now, I don't consider myself an artist. I really don't have a lot of skills in that area, but sometimes I enjoy it. This case was, I was sitting in class with a friend, and they were just doodling and kind of drawing on some notebook papers. And I thought what they were drawing was really cool. It One of them said, love is a bridge... And the other piece said, blessed to be a blessing. So after the class, I was like, are you going to keep those? And they said, no, I'm just throwing them away. Because I guess when you can draw that well, it doesn't mean that much. But to me, I was like, oh, that's really cool. I want to keep it. So I kept it. I took those uh, little doodles drawings home. And then a few days later, I saw them sitting on my shelf, and I was like, I gotta find something to do with these. Otherwise, they're just gonna get buried in a pile, or I'm just gonna end up throwing them away, and that's dumb. So, kind of just, I'm not gonna say on a whim, because that means that I didn't have faith, but out of faith, I just said, 
Holy Spirit, give me an idea for something I can make with these. And instantly I got an image of kind of like a plaque, a way to mount these little drawings. That was really cool. And it was within my ability to create, which was a key part of the Holy Spirit asking me to do anything with art. So I end up going about figuring out how to make these and the different elements on it. And then I felt like after I'd completed the pieces, the Holy Spirit said you should give them back to that person who originally drew the drawings. So I presented them to that person. And that was just a cool experience to be able to ask the Holy Spirit a question to kind of give me a solution for this problem that wasn't even really big. It was just like, I don't know what to do with these these drawings. What should I do? But I just think that's cool that the Holy Spirit, God brings meaning into every single thing if you want him to. And you can come to him with the massive needs that you have and ask for him to provide a solution for those. And you can also bring the little small things that that you're not even sure anyone else cares about. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit answers you. So that's exciting. I love the adventure of hearing from the Holy Spirit and getting different creative ideas from God that you know have so much more meaning than what you can see. And sometimes those ideas are bigger and a little bit more intimidating because you're not sure how other people are going to respond. And I will give an example of this. On a mission trip a few years ago, I was going to a home with over 120 kids, and they are orphans, or their parents couldn't take care of them, and they kind of gave them to this home so that they would have more opportunities and ability to go to school and things like that. So... Before this trip, I kind of was asking the Holy Spirit for an idea of something to do, something that was meaningful, just kind of anything to do on this trip. And I got this whole vision, this picture of everyone on our team that was going over, and I think it was like eight people, was praying over every single kid but we're praying in a way of kind of like a father's prayer or a mother's prayer or just kind of a prayer of impartation I guess and I felt like the Holy Spirit pointed out it was really important to come against what the enemy is speaking over these children in that they're not wanted, they don't have family, they don't belong. Things that are all attached to that 
kind of that identity that that the enemy wants to give them when they grow up in this home. And the Holy Spirit was just kind of saying, no, we are going to pray as the males on the team prayed a father's prayer and just kind of bringing them into that spiritual family aspect. And then a couple of the women on the team who were mothers, I asked them to pray a mother's prayer over these kids. And uh, two of the other people on the team were teenage boys, and I asked them to pray as if they're praying for their sibling. And it was a really powerful vision to just be able to see in the spiritual realm what the Holy Spirit wants for each one of those kids and just coming against this accusing and negative identity that the enemy wants to throw on them and just kind of dismantling that and destroying that and saying, no, we receive these kids into the spiritual family of God. And whether we prayed that or not, they were already accepted into the spiritual family of God. So it's not like we were doing something that was impossible otherwise, because it wasn't. But it was a cool opportunity for everyone on the team to just kind of engage in in their lives in a spiritual way. And with that many kids in a home, they don't typically get a lot of one-on-one attention from the various caregivers and staff and people around the home just because of the sheer numbers and you're just always around everybody. So I felt like it was really important to individually pray over each kid. And when I had this idea, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if people would understand. And so I talked with the person who was also leading the trip with me. And you'll hear from her soon. Her name's Jackie. But she just right away was like, oh yeah, of course we're doing that. And that was really cool to be able to see her, her faith built my faith to be like, yeah, this is, this is a cool thing. This is a real thing. People understand it and it, it makes sense. And people can tell that it's from God. So we ended up doing that and it took probably, I don't know, maybe close to an hour to, to get through each kid. We kind of split them up in half and, and did all the praying that way. But it was just a really special experience. And the thing with Holy Spirit ideas is that, like I was saying, you know that there's so much more meaning in it than what you can see on the outside. And a lot of the younger kids at this home didn't fully understand English, so you could say they have no idea what you're saying and it doesn't really matter. But I know for a fact, I know in my spirit that 
that they understood what was going on, that the Spirit was communicating with every single kid there, and that everybody was having an experience that was of God's presence and God's heart. That is what I hope and want for everybody. I just want everyone to have an experience with the Holy Spirit, to have an experience with God's presence, because once you have that, you can decide if you don't want it. But until you've experienced that, you don't truly know how real and how loving God is. And so that's that's always my prayer when I think of big picture. If I could have one wish granted, that would be it. So after giving those examples, I'm going to invite Dave in and I'm going to ask him a few questions because he's really good at just bringing some understanding and clarity to the scriptural basis for the Holy Spirit and I just really enjoy his perspective. Hi Dave, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Thank you for inviting me, it's good to be here. I'm glad when we always get to hang out and basically just talk about all the things we always talk about. <laughs> Pretty much God. That's that's the only thing worth talking about. Yeah, especially the cool stuff with the Holy Spirit. So let's jump into it. Okay, so when did you first encounter the Holy Spirit? Well, I first started serving God intentionally in my sophomore year of high school. I was raised in the church, so I knew things but I wasn't really serving God until my sophomore year of high school. But it was about uh, a few years after that, in my freshman year of college, came out to CSU, and there was a guy named George Otis. This is George Otis Sr., and he is the father of George Otis Jr. that uh, it creates all these document documentaries on what God is doing all over the world that I... I um, watch them and I have watch parties so people can uh, see what God's doing and then we pray for each other and all that. So anyway, back in in uh, the 70s, I came to this meeting that George Otis Sr. was hosting and he was talking about the Holy Spirit and at the end of his, his teaching, his talk, he asked uh, for people to come up front, and anybody who wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit could do so. So I was one of the ones that went up there, and he prayed for people, and he got to me and laid hands on me and prayed, and then said, okay, speak in tongues. So I did, and I've been doing that ever since. <laughs> That's so cool. Did your church growing up talk about the Holy Spirit a lot, or not really? No. I was born and raised in a Presbyterian church and was in... The Presbyterian Church from when I was born to my senior year of high school, and then when I came out to to Fort Collins for college, then I started going to an Assembly of God church, uh, but I was not there very long before uh, the George Otis uh, meeting was happening. So even though they did talk about it, they uh, there wasn't really much time to learn from them before I went to this meeting. Okay, gotcha. I had a similar experience, so I just 
I'm always interested if people grew up knowing about it, but never engaged in it, or if they just had no idea until one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was, um, my wife and I were involved with um, quite a few people during our college years who didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit or that God still talked to people or that there were gifts of the Spirit anymore. And it was fascinating to interact with them because we would go to their meetings and uh, (laughs) they would always have a testimony time and they would have a testimony like... um, you know, I did really well on my on my test, which is cool. That's certainly a blessing. But then Kathy and I would say, yeah, we prayed for somebody and, and he got healed or, or, you know, this miracle or that miracle. And it was really frustrating for them because they really, really wanted that stuff in their, in their lives too. But they'd been taught all their life. It doesn't happen anymore. But here it was happening in these two upstarts. And... <laughs> It was, it was quite humorous to see the Holy Spirit tugging on their hearts, but saying, no, that doesn't happen anymore. But, oh, I wish that happened to me. Oh, but it doesn't happen anymore. Oh, but I wish that happened to me. So it was fun to watch. Yeah, it's always hard when you want to keep trying to hold on to the box that you've put God in. And he's clearly saying, I don't live in that box anymore. <laughs> it's That's okay true. to say... I'm wrong, and I want to try what you have to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there were some really cool breakthroughs. There was a a ministry trip. That group had a, a singing group that Kathy and I were both in, and we went around the Western Slope and uh, sang in a bunch of churches, and it was about a two-week musical tour. And we there were about 30 of the 30 people there so we no house had had enough room for us so we had just uh, slept in the churches in sleeping bags and one evening one of the directors crawled over to me and woke me up in the middle of the night and said that his wife was having terrible abdominal pain could i come and pray and he said that he had prayed and nothing had happened so i uh, groggily <laughs> woke up and crawled over to her. Uh, she was sleeping and I laid hands on her. It was That was one of the very few times when I feel like I had a gift of faith um, because I was not really awake yet. But when I laid hands on her belly, it just, I had this absolute confidence, of course, God is going to do something really cool. And so I prayed and the pain immediately left and she kind of sagged in relief and astonishment and um, the husband thanked me and I went back to sleep and then the next morning during the testimony time he brought it up nobody else knew about it at least that I'm aware of which means he could have just let it pass but he was very um, honest and gracious and told the whole story about how she had been having such pain and when he prayed nothing happened and when I prayed she was healed instantly and again all these kids thought oh I wish that happened to me but that stuff doesn't happen anymore but oh I wish that happened to me (laughs) it was pretty humorous and glorious at the same time yeah hopefully those people gave in to that desire to want to test out the Holy Spirit for themselves some of them did oh good that's the best part 
So what are some of the ways that you've experienced the Holy Spirit communicate with you? Well, there are quite a few different ways. Um, all of these um, have scriptural precedent, or at least they're, they don't contradict anything about God's character or God's word. But sometimes he gives me a picture of something. Uh, this could be a word of knowledge where I just know something um, that I couldn't possibly know. If that is in the context of giving a message to somebody else, then it's, it's prophetic ministry. But sometimes I just get a picture of something and I describe it. Sometimes I know what that means and sometimes I don't. But the person receiving it usually does. It's kind of like uh, Joseph when he had his dreams about the, the 12 or the 11 sheaves of grain bowing down to his sheaf or the, the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down to his star. The brothers didn't need an interpretation for that. It was painfully obvious what it meant. And that's what got them angry. Uh, so a lot of times the message doesn't need interpretation, but sometimes it does. And I, I have the image and I also know what it means. So I, I pass that along too, if it's in a prophetic context. Nice. Sometimes I hear a word. Uh, this is not an audible voice that other people can hear, but I hear it in my spirit. And sometimes it's, it's a still small voice. Sometimes it's very loud um, and it's kind of startling that other people didn't hear it because <laughs> internally it felt really loud. It sounded really loud. Uh, sometimes there's just a knowing, a kind of an impression that comes from God. Um, one thing that, that has happened with me rarely, but is pretty common in other, in other people, is they have, especially in a context of uh, praying for somebody for healing, if they have a pain in their body in a way, in a place that they know there's nothing wrong with them in that part of the body. Uh, for example, my wife had a, a pain in her shoulder one time and she, she knew there's nothing wrong with her shoulder. So she was wondering, okay, God, what are you trying to tell me? And moments later we were put, we were in a, a big meeting and the, the leader moments later said, okay, get in groups of four, no, three. And we happened to get together with this guy who had had a football injury and his shoulder, the same shoulder, was injured. And so we prayed for him and he was healed. But that was a, a word of knowledge to Kathy about a shoulder that would be useful a couple, couple minutes later. That's really interesting. I don't think I've ever experienced that, like the physical feeling one, other than the, the things that you've already described one that I felt is kind of like an impression of an emotion. Yes. And I don't know, I guess I just discern it in a situation or a person and kind of be able to use that to either minister to that person or or know they're a person of peace, I guess, is a term talks about in the Bible. So that's one that I would add to that. Yes, list. I agree. Uh, that's a common thing. Uh, for prophetic people to feel, to be able to discern the emotional state of other people so they know better how to minister to them. So um, when you walk into a situation and suddenly you feel irritable or fearful or depressed or something like that, it may not be you. It may be the Lord telling you, this is what you need to minister to. That's very useful. 
See, the Holy Spirit is the coolest thing. It's like the best adventure partner ever in your whole life. Preach it, yep. <laughs> so what are some of the scriptural basis for the Holy Spirit still being alive and active today? There, well, before we get to that, the the problem the problem is there's a doctrine called cessationism that it that states that the Holy Spirit ceased everything quit about 1900 years ago when the last of the twelve apostles died. There's a theory, there's a doctrine in Christianity that um, the Holy Spirit was used to kickstart the church, but now that we have um, the Bible, we don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. And that is not really <laughs> supported at all in the Bible. Um, for example, when you when you read about the uh, transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and Peter, James, and John go up in the mountain, there's the glory cloud and um, Moses and Elijah show up. And then you hear out of this cloud the voice of God saying, this is Mark 9, verse 7. A cloud threw a shadow upon them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, the most dearworthy, beloved one. Be constantly listening to and obeying him. So it seems kind of silly that God would say, Be constantly listening to Jesus if Jesus wasn't saying things anymore. So uh, one of the doctrines of cessationism is that God doesn't talk to people anymore. Um, but clearly, he does. Uh, here's another one. Jesus in John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Well, that implies that he's still talking to people. And it would be difficult to hear his voice if he wasn't talking. No, in fact, you can't even get saved without hearing the voice of God. Look at this. Uh, John 6, 44 and 45. Jesus says, no one can come to me except the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. So we can't even get saved without hearing the voice of God in our spirits. Um, I have a, a Bible that I got about 45 years ago, and it a lot of the comments, or all the comments in the marginal notes and the footnotes and all that, were were written by a guy who was a cessationist. And one of the things that he said was in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, Love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And he concluded from that that uh, he said that since the Bible is perfect, that must be what it's talking about when that which is perfect has come. Now that we have the Bible, we don't need the Holy Spirit anymore or his gifts or his abilities or God to speak to us by his spirit because he can speak to us through the Bible. And if you take just that little snippet by itself out of its context, you could almost believe that as long as you stay away from the next few verses because if you continue reading, it says, 
Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. Okay, so notice that there are two time periods in there. There's a now part and a then part. And the now part, there are prophecies, and the then part, they shall fail. And then there's a now part, there is tongues, and a then part, they shall cease. And a now part, there is knowledge, or the gift of the word of knowledge, and a then part, it will vanish away. And that sounds like, oh, maybe it really is passed away. But but then if you read verse 12, um, this is 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. Well, are we all seeing Jesus face to face yet? No. Okay, how about the next phrase? Now I know in part, but then I will know even as I am known. Now, do we know Jesus as well as he knows us yet? No. So we are not in the then part of that passage. We are still in the now part, which means prophecies have not stopped yet. Tongues have not ceased yet. Words of knowledge have not vanished away yet. So there's a, a classic example of taking one little snippet out of its context and applying meaning to it that is completely unfounded. I think that's a really important point, just the context point. Yes. And I've learned this recently that you can figure out what the scriptures are saying because you can discover what the context is. And that's not true for other books of religions and things like that. You don't have a context, so it's kind of up to whoever's the leader in their interpretation. But it's cool to be able to go to the Bible and say, I don't get what this means, but have the context to be able to try and piece things together and understand it. Here's another example out of Acts chapter 1. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and in addition to the Gospel of Luke, and he said, uh, this is the Amplified, In the former account, which I prepared, O Theophilus, Theophilus was his friend, which means God lover. I think that was probably a nickname, but it's a cool nickname. I made a continuous report dealing with all the things which Jesus began to do and to teach. I think it's significant that Luke describes the book of Acts as what Jesus began to do and teach. And the book of Luke is what he began to do and teach. He's not done, but he began. And then you continue to verse 2. He says, Until the day he ascended, and he, through the Holy Spirit, had instructed and commanded the apostles, the special messengers, whom he had chosen. Okay, here's God, here's Jesus himself, through the Holy Spirit, giving commands to the, uh, the disciples, the apostles. And what did he command them? That brings up a question of, well, what was the command? In verse 4, he said, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised of which he said, you've heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but not many days from now you will be baptized with, placed in, introduced into the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, wait until you have the power to do stuff. Verse 8, you will receive power, ability, efficiency, might, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
Judea, Samaria, and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. I've heard that, that's Acts 1.8. I've heard that quoted. What does Acts 1.8 say? You'll be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Well, true, but he also said, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit so you can actually do that. Because when we're trying to do God's work without God's power, it is a colossal failure. I was also reading yesterday in John 14, and um, it was talking, Jesus is talking to the disciples about basically explaining how he has the authority to do what he's doing. And he's saying, as the Father is in me, and he's explaining this whole thing to the disciples, they're not really getting it. Then he kind of says this verse that I view it as a bridge into the next thing that he jumps into, which is the verse where he says, um, just like the things I've done, you'll do the same things, but even greater. And then immediately jumps into talking about the Holy Spirit. So I feel like it's easy, it's harder to try and say the Holy Spirit doesn't exist when in that context, Jesus is clearly saying, you're going to do what I did and more, and Holy Spirit is that. Yes. And, and it's interesting to think about the cessationist, the part of cessationism that says the reason we don't need the Holy Spirit anymore is because we have the Bible now. <clears throat> Once the Bible was canonized and put together from all the separate manuscripts, now we don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. But it's interesting to think about that. Here we have commands to use the Holy Spirit, how to receive it, how to use it, what it's good for, and commands to do things that we can't do without the Holy Spirit. And the release of the user's manual was the thing that obsoleted the product. That just seems like really poor planning. I mean, God is not a God of confusion, so why would he tell us how to do all this stuff? And the, <clears throat> excuse me, the telling of of us to do it and how to do it and why to do it, the telling of it obsoleted the Holy Spirit. That just doesn't make sense at all to me. Why would the manual, the release of the user's manual, obsolete the product? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. And it also goes against Luke one thirty seven when it talks about all things are possible through God. So by God giving us a command, we have the power to do that, whatever the command is. So why wouldn't that apply to, like you're saying, these commands to engage in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and use them? One thing that relates to that is uh, Galatians 3.3. 3. This is the Common English Bible. It says, Are you so irrational? After you started with the Spirit, are you now finishing up with your own human effort? And after God poured out the Spirit in the first century, why would we ever think that we can now carry on without the Holy Spirit? Paul says that's irrational. <laughs> I think he's right. So what are some of the ways that people can learn how to discern hearing from the Holy Spirit? Because I think a lot of people get worried about 
what you're listening to, and we should be on guard about that. So what are some tangible ways people can approach that? To see if it's consistent with God's word and God's character. For example, in uh, Matthew 10, 7 and 8, Jesus is commanding the disciples. He says, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Okay, so that's the assignment. Um, a lot of modern day seminaries teach, you know, hermeneutics and exegesis and church growth strategies and all sorts of stuff. And that stuff is fine, but we can't do that instead of the assignment. He says right here, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. That is what the job is. That is how you preach the gospel. So that is impossible for us to do without the Holy Spirit. We cannot even do our job, our assignment, without the presence and the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. So one of the ways that we can detect whether this is of God or not, I'm, I'm feeling like I should do something, I will check it with God's goal, God's word, God's character. What does he want? He wants everybody to be saved. Jesus most... Um, effective dinner bell was getting people healed because it was it was obvious to anybody in the area that he's not just giving us a sales pitch there's power behind it anybody can give a sales pitch talk is cheap and that's why Jesus always did show and tell he didn't just do tell so if he did show and tell and he said as the father has sent me I send you then we need to do the show and tell also. We need to show that there is power behind what we say because then people will realize they should pay attention because anybody can give a sales pitch. So check to see if it's consistent with God's goals, God's word, God's character. Well said, Dave. You know all the things, and I'm glad that we're friends, so you can teach me all the things. <laughs> Oh, one thing, too, that I feel is important is, like you were saying in scriptures, Jesus says that his sheep can hear his voice. So if you're a believer and you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe in God, then being able to activate your faith to say, I can hear God and I am hearing God and kind of take that step towards God instead of saying what I used to say, which is, I can't hear God and I'm never going to get it. Instead of doing that, walk in faith and then see how God starts to show up and make you aware of what he's already been saying. Yes, and there that is a huge part. In uh, Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, it says that strong food, strong meat, solid food is for the mature who have their senses exercised by constant use to discern good and evil. So when you're first starting the process of learning how to hear God or recognize him, because you already hear him, the trickier part is to recognize this is of God or that it was the devil or this is just my own thoughts. So when you start going into that area, you'll make mistakes. I mean, everybody does. When, when a baby is learning to walk, 
You don't spank the baby when he falls down. You pick him up, encouraging him. You can do it. You can do it. You're almost there. Try it again. Try it again. And God does the same thing with us. He was. He would much rather have us try to obey him and make a mistake than be too afraid to try. God is not the author of the of fear. He did not give us the spirit of fear. So we should pursue him, do what he has commanded us to do. What would you say are the purposes of the Holy Spirit? I mean, we've touched on a few of them, but maybe in the context of the church or I don't know, there's a lot of purposes. So Yes, and... The main purpose of the manifestations of the Spirit is to prove to people that God is behind what is being said. For example, when Jesus uh, healed the guy that came through the roof, remember his four friends lowered him down through the roof, he was talking to the Pharisees and everybody else that was listening. He said, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Notice what he says here. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. So Jesus said, so that you will know that the Son of Man has the authority, he did a healing. Um, there's Mark sixteen twenty. The disciples went everywhere and preached the Lord worked with them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. So they preached, and they did the healing of the sick. Well, who did the healing? Was it the people, or was it God? Well, yes. He provides the power. We provide the obedience. Because, remember, he told us, go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Now, obviously, we can't do that with our own power. We don't have the power to do all that stuff. But we can provide the obedience. And when we obey him, even in the things that we cannot do by ourselves, he provides the power and it happens. And that's what happened here in Mark 16, 20. The Lord worked with them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. So they backed up the words with the, uh, with the miracles. Uh, remember when Nicodemus came to visit Jesus at night, um, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus could tell, God is with this guy. How do I know? Because of the miraculous signs that he does. Uh, later on, Jesus said, the testimony that I have, this is John five thirty six. the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Later on, he says, if I don't do the works of the Father, don't believe me. Now that is gutsy. How many modern day people would be able to say to a crowd of listeners, if I don't do the miraculous signs that Jesus did, don't believe me. That really <laughs> is where the rubber meets the road. And there are, there are a bunch of them. I have like 12 of them right here that says the purpose of the signs and wonders, the miraculous Holy Spirit things, is to back up the truth of the, of the verbal preaching. Can you talk a little bit about the verse that, some people can use 
or have used to try and refute the signs and wonders, which is when Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees when they ask him for a sign and he says, you're not going to get one, basically. Yeah, Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. And again, context is a wonderful thing. What was just happening? The the Pharisees, the scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, the people that were hostile to Jesus because he was eroding their power base, um, the people who were hostile to Jesus wanted a show. I mean, Jesus had been healing thousands of people, casting out demons, raising the dead, uh, feeding thousands of, of people with a, a little kid's sack lunch. And they said, well, give us a miracle to prove that you're the one you say you are. They were not looking for uh, confirmation. They were just saying, prove it. And it was not, they were not looking for confirmation. They were just uh, looking for a show. And their attitudes were not, were not good. So Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. In that context, um, that was true. Now, if that was if that was true in the context of people, the way people use it today, then Jesus would have been the chief offender because nobody was doing more miracles than he did. So seeking signs and wonders is not a problem. Seeking signs and wonders or anything else for the wrong attitude or with the wrong attitude is the problem. Yeah, that's it's an important point to make that the issue is not the signs and wonders or asking for them. The issue is what is your motivation? Yes. And what's the condition of your heart? Why are you asking God for a sign? Because there are many times in the Bible when people asked for a sign and God gave them one because they they were seeking out and they just needed a little help. And I can relate to that. Yes. The, there's a illustration of that in the story of of leading up to the birth of Jesus because the angel appeared to Mary and said that she was going to conceive and bear a son his name will be Emmanuel and Jesus or then uh, Mary said how can this be she was not challenging she was just amazed and I don't understand she was seeking understanding on the other hand you have Zacharias John the Baptist's uh, father, and when the angel appeared to him and said, your prayers have been answered, you're going to bear a son, he said, come on, I'm too old. <laughs> and he was not believing that Jesus or that God could do such a thing because obviously he was too old and his wife was a fossil and and there was no way she, she could have a baby because she was just way too old. He was way too old. God just missed his chance. And that's why the, the angel had to shut him up because he was speaking all sorts of doubt and unbelief. And this was too important to let <laughs> that kind of unbelief delay things. So yeah, uh, humility seeks understanding, but, um, but pride is just looking for, for proof after proof after proof when the proof won't, won't actually do anything. Um, we saw, or the Pharisees, the Sadducees, saw thousands of miracles. 
that didn't make them believe, so one more wouldn't. That was a heart condition, not an understanding condition. Any other points or scriptures you'd like to highlight for this topic? Yeah, um, Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is bigger than just the gospel of salvation. The kingdom is so much more than salvation. He preached the gospel of the kingdom, told his disciples to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Well, what is the gospel of the kingdom? Paul describes that in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And that's why it was effective. Notice Paul's change of approach. When he came into uh, Athens, um, came into Mars Hill and saw all these altars, including one to the unknown God, he gave an exquisite, eloquent sermon to those Athenians, and very few people believed him. Right after Athens, he went to Corinth, and Corinth is where he said, when I came in, I didn't preach with eloquence, I showed you power. And the results were much better. The uh, there was much more, many more people got saved because they saw there's power behind it. So I think the an important part, a hugely important part about our modern day Christianity is it's still true that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And when when we invite the Holy Spirit to show up and do the things that glorify his name, he's more than capable more than willing more than able <laughs> so and that's what that's what shows people it it's not a guarantee because there are certain places in the bible where god in the old testament or jesus in the new testament is expressing astonishment that even after all those miracles you still didn't believe so it is possible to harden your heart to the point where even miracles even infallible proofs are not good enough but if your heart is open even a little to what God can do, he knows and he will meet you there. So this is kind of, it's on the same topic, but it's a little bit different. What are some of the cultural tendencies that can make certain people groups more open to the signs and wonders than others? One of them is the intellectual uh, importance. In the Western world, we value logic and truth and facts and all that, which God is not afraid of. He is the originator of every truth there is. But we tend, we in the Western world tend to um, be so overly intellectual, we don't believe that the spiritual realm is a real thing. Over in Africa, I have a friend that's in a uh, is a missionary in Eswatini, and they don't need to be convinced that the spiritual realm is true, because they have demonic stuff going on all the time. The problem is they don't know that Jesus has overpowered the demons. He has uh, conquered all the works of the enemy, and until they find that out, they don't know that they don't have to put up with the with the uh, oppression and the the damage that Satan will gladly do to anybody that is willing to uh, willing to receive it. So, so 
in this country, in the U.S., many people, even Christians, need to be convinced that the spiritual realm is still active, is a real thing. In Africa, because their culture is so uh, immersed in spiritual activity, both good and bad, they don't need to be convinced. If they know about uh, demons but don't know about Jesus, they need to find out about Jesus because he has overcome he has conquered all the power of the enemy. But in this country, you know, people are still uh, convinced that the devil doesn't even exist, which is fine with him because then he can get away with anything and nobody will accuse him when nobody will come against him because they don't even believe he exists. So the culture is, is very important. It's a factor to take into consideration when we're ministering. What is the uh, the current the belief system of this person and you know we need to fill in the holes but there there may be different gaps in this culture versus that culture which that just highlights again how important the holy spirit is to be able to minister people to a person from any different background when you have the holy spirit and you're listening to the holy spirit you can be led in a way that that person can receive or hear or experience who God is without having to overthink it and say, where should I start and what should I say first and how should I say it, which is overwhelming. And the Holy Spirit is like truly the supernatural superpower that you can just ask and be like, what should I do? Where should I start? Yeah, and that's what Paul did. He said, you know, to the Jews, I become like Jews. To the to the pagans, I become like pagans. I, I don't sin, but I, I become like them so I can communicate with them better. And he was being led by the Holy Spirit to, uh, to know what they're like. You know, he didn't uh, stop being a Christian, but he may have dressed differently. He may have uh, talked differently. A person who does believe that Jesus is the creator, you talk to a person like that differently than you than a person who doesn't believe that, that God created the heavens and the earth. And, you know, to this person, I, I change myself to, to be more effective so that I can, I can lead the most people to the kingdom. Yeah, because God did create all the cultures, all the languages, and all the people, so all of it's important to him. And I think wherever you're called to minister, whether it's in another culture or that you would think, a cross-cultural um, type of experience, or it's the culture of the workplace, the culture of wherever you are going through in the world, Yes. The Holy Spirit is is there and is with you to give you the ability to bring Jesus to the people that haven't encountered him yet. I was just talking to a friend yesterday and he's in his 80s and he just realized recently that when he thinks of somebody that he hasn't thought of for a long time and there's no particular reason that he should have thought of that person, he just realized, oh, that's the Holy Spirit telling me I need to contact that person. So he's been sending emails or sending texts saying, hey, just thinking about you, what's going on? 
And he's discovering that those people were just going through something and they needed some friendship, needed some acknowledgement they exist. They needed to be reminded that they are seen, that they are loved. And that is so cool. How many times does somebody's name drop into our hearts and we just say, huh, haven't thought of them for a while, and we drop it? I, I think it's so cool to, when somebody's name drops into my heart, just shoot them a quick text saying, hey, just thinking about you, uh, just praying about you this morning and what's going on. And so often they reply with, I was just going through something and I'm so glad that you you contacted me. This is what's going on. Can you please pray for me? And, and on and on. But those little, little thoughts that just come out of nowhere, um, that's the still small voice of God. That reminds me of probably something that you've explained to me many times, but basically being faithful in the little things that God gives you, the, the small seemingly invitations that God can give you to step out in faith, um, to reach out to somebody like you were just saying. And then he can build you up in your faith to the point where you can build a giant ark in front of everybody laughing at you and not believing there's going to be a flood, like build you up to be able to step out in faith and do really big things that are really cool. That's very true. When we are faithful in little things, God gives us more. And we tend, we in this country, uh, tend to think, oh, that's just such a little thing, it's not important. But that's the first domino. And if we tip over the first domino, the next thing happens. And then the next thing, if we continue to be faithful with these little things, they get bigger and bigger. But God is not going to give us huge things to do if you can't trust us with even the little things. Huge point. So a really important thing to find out about the Holy Spirit is resources and getting connected with groups of people who are moving in the Spirit and can encourage you and teach you. And that's what Dave's been for me. And he's also exposed me to some other groups of people like the Healing Rooms. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, the Healing Rooms started... Um, were started by John Lake. He was a Chicago businessman that became a missionary to Africa. When he came back to the United States, he set up this thing, this organization called the Healing Rooms in Spokane, Washington. And he put ads in the paper saying, if the doctors have given up on you, come over here and let us pray for you. And over the period of 20 or more years that he was doing that, they had more than 100,000 medically documented supernatural healings. And when John Lake uh, eventually died, the organization kind of evaporated. But then uh, Cal Pierce, and I think 1999, felt like the Lord was telling him to reopen or restart that organization. So he did. And again, there are chapters all over the world. And there's one in Loveland, and I've been part of that. My wife and I have both been part of that for probably 10 years. And it is such a good way to learn about the Holy Spirit because there are a bunch of hungry people um, from a variety of churches that love God and want to minister, and they're willing to um, go out of their way to bless people and to love people. And the two main ministries they have there 
are a prayer for healing. That's where it got its name, healing rooms. And then there's also prophetic rooms where people can go in and just the ministry team just listens to God. And if God gives them pictures or songs or scriptures or anything, we will pass that those things on to the people. And because we don't allow them to talk in the prophetic rooms, we don't allow them to tell us anything. They just, other than their names, they just sit down and we listen and we tell them. And then after we're done, then they can say, you know, did that connect? Did that click? Did that resonate with you? And it's remarkable to <laughs> to see what happens. Um, but the, the healing rooms is a very, it helps you get comfortable with listening to God. It, it's a bunch of people that are learning together. And there are some people that hear God amazingly well. And just working around them, having the freedom to minister. And even, even if we don't do something right, um, we learn from each other. And, you know, God teaches us, we learn, we're doing this practice thing like Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 talks about. So yeah, that is an excellent uh, context in which to learn how to hear the Holy Spirit, how to recognize the Holy Spirit, how to obey him and see God do profound things. It's so cool too that the Healing Rooms is an organization that anyone can volunteer at no matter what church background you're from that's I feel like an important sign to look at something and say all these people get along so well and yet we think that they're broken up into different boxes and they think different things and yet when it comes down to Monday evenings everyone shows up and everyone wants to bless whoever walks through the door so it's it's all the same heart of Jesus which is really cool yes any other resources that you would like to point people towards? And I'll have links in the description of this episode. Well, yeah, I've written several books on, on various aspects of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of them is Be Filled with the Spirit that just talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts and what they're useful for. Uh, there's another one called uh, Gold Dust, uh, Jewels and More, Manifestations of God, question mark. And it's amazing some of these manifestations of God that um, are often mocked because they're not very common yet. Um, they are, they're scriptural. And I go into great detail on the scriptural support for these things and the scriptural symbolism behind them and the messages that God is, is communicating to us through them. I have a couple of books on prophetic ministry. One uh, one of them is called Prophetic Ministry, a biblical look at seeing. There's another one on healing. And all of those are empowered by the Holy Spirit, different manifestations of the Holy Spirit loving people. Thanks, Dave. I've read quite a few of the books that Dave's written, so I will always be a big fan of anything Dave writes because somehow he's always answering questions that either I knew I had or I didn't even know I had, and now all of a sudden I'm interested in it. Well, thank you. <laughs> it sure is fun. 
I feel the pleasure of God when I'm writing, and it's so fun. Yeah, that in and of itself is like a huge gift to be able to take the things that you're passionate about already and then ask God, how do you want to work through this? That's a a cool way to just offer up yourself to the Holy Spirit in in greater ways. Yeah, many years ago, I had scores of these tiny little Bible studies on my phone because I always have my phone with me in my quiet time and questions would occur to me or I'd hear a sermon or I'd read something in a book and I would think, huh, I wonder. And then I would investigate it and I would make one of these little notes on my phone and these notes were just a string of scriptures and I knew what I was asking, so I knew how they applied and... Several years ago, the Lord said, you know, if you fill that out so somebody else can follow your train of thought, it might be a blessing to somebody else. And I thought, you're right. (laughs) I could. So that's when I started writing things down. I'm proud of you, Dave. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Started writing things down. (laughs) We're all blessed by it. So if you want to find out more about the Holy Spirit and basically anything that the Bible is saying, Dave's probably answered a question or written about it. So definitely go check it out. This won't be the last time that Dave will be on my podcast because I want to keep talking about more stuff and I always love what he has to say. So I want to share him with all of the listeners here. But for this episode, we'll cap it off here. So thanks for coming, Dave. It is my pleasure. This was very fun. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you are blessed and encouraged as you listened. Proclaiming-freedom.com is my website. Go ahead and check it out. There's also a contact form as well. If you would like prayer, fill out the form on my website. I'd love to pray for you. It's one of my favorite things to do, so don't hesitate to reach out.